Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Ms. Marvel has wrapped up and I'm so excited to be talking about representation and what this show meant and all the things that we can learn from it with Zuhair Ali and Emily Sissel. All that and more after this commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host, they, them pronouns. I have two wonderful guests here. First, if you've been listening to the MCU podcast on Ms. Marvel, if you haven't, you definitely should. Uh, the They've been going episode by episode about Ms. Marvel, and one of the guests has been Zuhair. Zuhair, it's so good to have you with us. Uh, just say a bit about yourself. Introduce yourself. Hey, guys. I'm Zuhair Ali. Uh, for the sake of this discussion, I am from Pakistan, moved here when I was three. I am quite the nerd. Grew up as one, proud to be one. Uh, I am a photographer by trade, live in Virginia. I am also a martial artist. I'm a, I train Filipino martial arts. And a more recent hobby of mine is that I like to podcast. So here I am. Awesome. Yeah, great to have you. And uh, Emily is a returning guest as well. Zuhair has also been on the show. But Emily, if you remember our podcasts about teaching and using teaching as a way to uh, talk about superheroes, that's Emily talking about what she does in the classroom. Uh, so good to have you back as well. Thanks. Uh, so Emily Sissel, she, her, hers pronouns. Uh, and yeah, I am clearly a social studies school teacher and have been on this podcast. I've also been on Zoo's podcasts and such. Um, and I run panels and professional development for teachers on how they can utilize te uh, comics and pop culture in the classroom. That's fantastic. And I, I've had a couple people um, kind of uh, just people over the time who I've connected with on other forums have like found out when I find out they're a teacher, I always kind of point them to your stuff and say, Yay! Hey, this is something you can check out. Uh, and Zuhair's podcast is animation to liberation. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. If you like animation or even if you don't, you think, if you think you don't, Listening to them will probably give you a whole new uh, opinion on it. So definitely check that out. If you need a well, reason to get into it, then head over. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, I'm so glad to have both of you on here. Um, so let's just start with kind of your overall thoughts on, I know both of you had talked about how excited you were for the show, all the things you thought it would mean to you. Um, Zuhair, you've had six episodes to talk about this. Let me start <laughs> with Emily. Uh, Emily, fair. talk a bit about why you were so excited going into this and sort of how, how you felt it paid off. So uh, my boyfriend says it the best and that I am Kamala Khan um, mm -hmm. where like literally like Amon Vellani has talked about how like I'm Kamala Khan but my person is Tony Stark and you know Robert Downey Jr. I'm like I'm just Kamala Khan it's Captain Marvel mm -hmm. for me um, and so getting to kind of feel represented as a super super awkward geeky girl that gets mm -hmm. to get superpowers and embracing them um, Although I am very, very, very white passing, um, my <laughs> family is Mexican as well. And so, like, getting to see a lot of those immigrant stories and such was super impactful. I mean, if it puts it in perspective, like, I cried several times throughout the series. Yeah. Not necessarily even, like, super emotional moments, but I was overwhelmed with just how giddy and happy I was. I mean, like, you couldn't watch an episode without smiling. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you cannot watch an episode without smiling of that show. And it's just, it's brilliant. It, it, it did complete justice to the comics runs. Uh, I mean, it, it's not an exact iteration, but I'm telling you, there were so many of those comics lines all throughout those six mm -hmm. episodes. It was phenomenal. And, I mean, yeah. they paid tribute to it all the time with the animation and uh, with the credits at the end showing different comic panels. 
And then mm-hmm. even like in the sixth episode, there was the cameo from the creator of Kamala Khan, Willow Wilson, in the TikTok videos. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I so love things like that. It just, the whole thing is just kind of like an overwhelmingly mm-hmm. great experience watching the show. That's awesome. Uh, Zuhair, what about for yourself? Uh, writing off of Emily's thoughts a little bit, I agree 100% in the fact that I teared up quite a bit in every episode as well. Uh, just because, like, Marvel's new thing for Phase 4 is just amazing dialogue. Yeah. And mm-hmm. their ability to to convey what we need to hear without directly shoving real-world stuff in our face is really impressive. And Miss Marvel, surprisingly, was actually the show that I was most nervous about. Mm-hmm. because it was so connected to me being Pakistani and Muslim and all that. And it paid off as definitely being one of my favorite shows in phase. It is my favorite show in phase four. And not even because of all of that stuff being too overbearing, it was mm-hmm. tied in perfectly with just a really good story. So for them to speak Urdu and, you know, wear Shalvar Korta and go down Desi streets and stuff like that and talk about the food and have old Bollywood music, new Bollywood music, stuff that I could sing along to because I'd heard it a million times before. Mm-hmm. That it, it really was icing on the cake of just what really was a great story that took the history, took the culture, and expressed it to the world in the most beautiful way they could. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I know what you mean about how how there's kind of a little bit of a danger there, you know, when you're really counting on like this is going to be the first time I'm going to see myself really represented in this world. And mm-hmm. like, I know when uh, Hawkeye was coming out, you know, they were really going to deal with disability and there's going to be a one legged character. I was, yeah. I was really nervous about it and they did it fantastically. And it felt so good, especially after feeling like, you know, Loki was supposed to be the non, the, the queer character and explore some non-binary stuff. And that did not go well in the slightest. And so mm-hmm. this was such a, it's really beautiful to hear you say that. And for me as someone, I'll kind of name where I am in all this. I, I am not Pakistani. I, I'm not a woman. I am not Muslim. I'm So 90% of this was watching it as an outsider. And I really loved both how much I learned about this, but also how much I could relate to things in terms of seeing things as, okay, I don't have that experience, but I, I, that shows me that that experience is pretty much like like my own in some other way. It's been very unique mm-hmm. still. And and for me, I, I would start with and kind of curious to hear your your thoughts on this, Suhair. The scene in the the scenes in the mosque, and I don't just mean the prayer scenes, but the scenes about the mosque community. Mm-hmm. As a former pastor and as someone who spent a lot of time in in Christian congregations and also spent a lot of time talking to rabbis and to pastors about their congregations, it really made me think about the fact that I had never seen just the life of a Muslim populate a congregation before, you know, that every time I'd seen a, a mosque on screen, it was because there were terrorists there or because the cops were doing bad things there, but just seeing things like the, the different cliques or the, um, the, the politics around the, the election, election and thinking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And thinking like, that's what my church does. That's what synagogue, that's what religious, like when people get together to be religious together, they're going to form cliques. They're going to have little politics stuff. It just, that hit me so hard as something where I was like, I've never seen this part of mosque life, and I'm so glad to be seen. It's, it's demystifying that. Yeah, it was It was actually funny because was it episode three that had Eid in it, or was it uh-huh. two? I think One it was episode episodes. two. Two, yeah. Okay, so they were talking about how there's, like, different Eids, and there's not just one throughout the year, and how there was, like, a smaller one, and that's what this was celebrating. 
that mm-hmm. Eid was actually last Saturday. And oh, the nice. amount of people that texted me, they were like, hey, what clique were you in? Uh, was just <laughs> hilarious because now uh-huh. there's the curiosity of like, hey, how did your Eid go? What did you do? What did your kind of do? Um, mm-hmm. So it was really cool just being able to like talk about that a little more because it's just something of like, hey, I'm out of town for a holiday. Like, you're not going to care why, so I'm not going to give you any details about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, like, the questions opened up. It's like, did your family come in? How long were you there for? What did you guys do? What did you eat? And uh, the fact that the show came out with such perfect timing of like being able to ask those questions. And one of the coolest dialogue from the show was actually when Kamala's mom was talking about the importance of having that community because a lot of people come like my parents came to the United States to give me a better opportunity for education. My sister wasn't born mm-hmm. at the time, but obviously the, the, the intent was the same for her. And so a lot of those people come with that intent of whether it be business opportunities or freedom opportunity, because whatever the conditions may be at the time, you know, they come, it takes so much bravery to come over to the side. So to find that community and to build, you have to build a family from scratch, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't tell the amount of times we're hanging out and it's like, oh, this is my cousin. How are you related? It's like, I actually don't know. Um, Our parents were just in this part of Muscat for a, period of time and we're related somehow we actually might not be it's just like lineage of like tribes and families like growing up together uh so that dialogue of like this is why mosques are important this is why churches are important this is why community building is super important because you know it's your family's not always going to be your family by definition you know like sometimes it is just blood and to have an opportunity to be yourself and to have the people who actually have your back and lift you to be the best version of yourself is dialogue that was super crucial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think part of why I think that scene struck me so much is that when I have talked to people who have, I mean, I don't mean people who are like raging Islamophobes, but just people who are, who are ignorant or don't really understand and realizing like what we learn about Islam on because this country is so bad at these things is, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, praying towards Mecca and five times. It's all these things that are meant to make it seem so different and so foreign. And like, I think there's a danger of being like, oh, it's just like us. It's not, it's a different religion. Being able to see, like you said, like when people come together, when families come together, I really hope a lot of people saw that scene and saw themselves in that, in that way. And like, yeah, this is a religious community. It's different than ours, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not strange or different. It's just, it's something else. This, yeah. this is exactly why I have my students read Ms. Marvel No Normal, those first five issues. And we do it when we are learning monotheistic religions because mm. Willow Wilson has this amazing ability of just throwing in all these Christian motifs and all these like references to Judaism throughout the comic and creating a direct comparison the entire time that she is writing the storyline. And it's a total... like underneath thing that's happening that you can see it in the imagery and you can see it in the language uh bruno they haven't brought it up yet but he is like so catholic like Mm -hmm. unbelievably catholic and his grandparents are catholic i mean they brought up italian but it's a huge point of like you literally set, set this white catholic boy on one pedestal and then you have this Pakistani Muslim girl on the other and you can sit there and you can and you can compare and contrast them the whole time and the show does a great job of doing that as well 
and being able to see that and educate people. Yeah, not to go like too much into theology or anything, but you know, you brought up monotheist I don't religions, mind. and <laughs> it really is like Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all have the same history. There was just all one it's... point where it like it ended up splitting off a little bit, and you get some it, it really does come but... down to the culture. Like when mm -hmm. we had our interview with Anjali Bimani, like we were talking about how how vast like the islamic empire was at one point like mm -hmm. there was a, a portion of the philippines that are primarily muslim like you think about like singapore and malaysia are the largest muslim populations in the world you would think it's the middle east um but then the middle east itself has it and then pakistan has it india has it uh large parts of africa there was a part where spain was part of um sorry i'm forgetting which ottoman empire spain yeah. was part of the ottoman empire like a lot of their architecture and artwork and the glasswork and the domes like all of that is islamic structure so you can't expect you know to hear islam and think that one culture is tied to it because it's on so many parts of the world that mm. and it's influenced so much of the world that like it you, there really is a huge 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 distinction between me being a Muslim and being a Pakistani there are two very different things right and it's the same thing as somebody being catholic and british or catholic and american and like your religion and your ethnicity are two very different things and they mm -hmm. had a great opportunity to express both of them as individual things yeah um in, in seminary one of my favorite professors really kind of harked on the idea that when people say like judeo-christian that that sense that that comment makes no sense in part because it's often used by christians to try and like railroad over jews but also because it's cutting out Islam entirely. And that if you're trying to talk about like the Abrahamic religions all share quite a lot in common. And like, uh, you know, I, I've definitely talked to Buddhists and, and people from other like non-Abrahamic traditions who be like, yeah, from our eyes, you're all very similar. Yep. Yeah. And I think that, but Islam is so often left out. Um, Edward Said in the book Orientalism does a fantastic job of kind of getting deeper into this. But, you know, yeah, the, the, to me, that's one of the things it did. It's like ex really exploding the idea of like that the Judeo-Christian and then there's Islam somewhere really far over there. Yeah, especially with the imagery and stuff. Like it's so funny to see like how Jesus is portrayed and how Prophet Muhammad is portrayed because like mm -hmm. one actually came out of the other. Like we refer to him as Prophet Isa. Like yeah. Jesus was a part of that history. It's just... It, he the, wasn't the, the main the, dude. Literally, the, <laughs> literally the only difference is that he just wasn't the son of god because if god does not beget nor is he begotten like how does he have an offspring so like right. jesus is a prophet just like muhammad is a prophet just like abraham is a prophet um so to, to for to for them to like show it as such a distinct thing when they're relatively on the same part of the world it's just something that cracks me up as i've gotten older and just kind of understood like how much of it really is the same thing and yeah. how wars have started around the world just because somebody practices slightly different than somebody else does mm -hmm. yeah no it, it's it's truly ridiculous um and I, and I love that about the show so what else like i think that that one of the, the reasons i want to have both you on is because i think it's also easy to be like oh ms marvel that's the show that did south asian and muslim representation and and the kind of like but I think there's so much more that goes into it. We've talked about the Islamic side of it. Um, what else in terms of representation really spoke to either one of you? So I think because I got into this conversation with um, 
actually a comic book seller um, mm -hmm. at a con a while back because uh, he was also Hispanic and we were talking about how like you know what current writers were absolutely loving because of what they're doing and how excited we are for Ms. Marvel because Willow Wilson is amazing and what's fascinating is the older school comics when they were like so-called you know very progressive Stanley was mm -hmm. progressive for his time but anytime they had a character that was not white um and if they like had slightly different language, the big one we could think of was uh, being Hispanic um, mm -hmm. and speaking Spanish. And in the comics, who it was directly geared for was very clearly still a white person. And it's making them feel better because they threw somebody in there that was their token Hispanic or your token black right. guy or, you know, anything like that. And like the Spanish parts in the comics would be directly translated and stuff like that. And it's, it brings in the key phrase of like existence is not representation just because you make somebody exist does not mean you are representative of them. And what yeah. was really cool about Shang-Chi and black Panther and now Ms. Marvel is that it's, they're not just existence. They're there, they're real. And it's mm -hmm. not like they have, they're fully thought out characters. I mean, like the Urdu, a lot of it, is not translated for you, like in the subtitles, because I'm yeah. one of those mm -hmm. people that can't hear without subtitles. A yep, lot of too. it, a lot of it is not translated. And so like Zoo would actually like mention different things that like, I never would have known because I don't speak mm -hmm. Urdu, but you know what? It makes me actually have to dig a little deeper and learn a little more because it's not just existence. They're there and they're real. And it makes yeah. me excited that they're doing all this because, you know, they're bringing, again, as somebody who's Hispanic, they're bringing in Namor and they're making him Hispanic. And he's, the actor has been learning, learning the Mayan language. And I like. Oh, really? That's awesome. I can't wait to sit there and like the experience that Zoo has had. I can't wait to sit there and be like mm -hmm. listening to like different Spanish and like hearing mm -hmm. the Aztec and Mayan myths and be like. My abuelito sat down there the whole time and like he would tell yeah. me these things and like. Yeah. I, I mean, just educating people that yeah. like, you know, Yucatec, just educating people that Yucatan and like the the Mayan population is not these like, yeah. is somewhat different in some ways from the rest of Mexico. Like that alone would be amazing. And the number um, of languages alone, I, Guatemala has twenty nine national languages. Spanish is yeah. one. Twenty eight other dialects of Mayan. I mean, like. I can get in a whole yeah. other thing there, <laughs> but it's the, it's the idea that they're not just existing, like they're real and people mm -hmm. can sit there and actually visibly see everything. I mean, I, I have students in hijab that get to sit there and read comics and see somebody that looks like them for the first time. Yeah. And I think there's just nothing like that. And I, I really like what you talked about, about how these characters sometimes came from a very different kind of perspective. Like, I forget his name, but the creator of Luke Cage, the TV show, you know, he talked very well about this, about how the creator of Luke Cage, the TV show, he really had a lot to say about this, about how Luke Cage was a character really born out of ex uh, born out of exploitation. Yeah. And like mm -hmm. it was a character for white people who wanted to see, you know, kind of shuck and jive kind of ideas of a black person. And yeah. it was a good character even from the start, but there was a lot that was really problematic and how yeah. – that having him put on the old Power Man costume was in part meant to kind of like be like, hey, look, we're, we're acknowledging that past, but look how different this is now. And um, that, yeah. that show did a really great job of showing 
American black culture, because that's a whole other subsection of culture mm-hmm. separate from African culture and from, right. you know, Jamaican culture and Haitian culture. And, like, it's not the best show in the world. It's got problems, of course. But, like, my boyfriend, he's black, and sitting there and seeing, you know, everything going down in the barber shops and stuff, it made him feel very seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that sense of being seen, that's kind of what we're talking about through all of this, why that's so important. And so, Zoo, for you, we, we, you talked about how being Pakistani and being Muslim are two different parts of your identity. Mm-hmm. Talk about the, the, the Pakistani and the South Asian representation and what that, how, what about that really spoke to you? <laughs> it's cool because they got to see a lot of stuff that was like, oh, man, they really hit the nail on the head with the food and um, the outfits and speaking Urdu and all that stuff. But it's like, like I said on Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, it's just... You got to see all the toxicity too, like the gossiping aunties and mm-hmm. the security issues, and you're expected to do this. Like, one of the things that got me to tear up is that towards the end of it, Kamala Khan actually had support of Pakistani parents, which that is not a a typical sight. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go on and on about like my relationship with my dad, but like my mom has been one of the most supportive people because. You know, I decided to be a photographer instead of an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer. And basically, like, my whole community thought that I was a failure before I ever even made it into school because they were like, you're going to get a job in that? Like, why aren't you doing anything else? It's like, I suck at reading books and taking tests. That's why, auntie. Um, You know, I'm a Mm -hmm. a visual learner. I work on my feet. I can't sit still. So that's the career that I chose. And while my mom was nervous for me, she was very much on the end of like, hey, if you can take business classes or something to have as a fallback, that'd be great. But if this is really what you want to do, then go for it. And then another big instance being um, my dad would actually get upset that I was spending money going to the theaters and buying Blu-rays and you know nerdy posters and stuff like that. And she was like, why do you let him spend money on all that stuff? And my mom just goes like, he's in college. He could be out, like, doing drugs or partying or drinking. I know mm-hmm. on a Saturday night he's at home watching Iron Man for the 50th time. Um, so, like, that level of support and understanding for, like, what your child wants to do and what they want to pursue and just the way that they think and how they are is something that you don't typically see. And I think that's one of those things that because now that it's on screen, it's like you get a little taste of, like, what that's actually like. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of toxicity in Pakistani culture and how the people treat each other and what they expect of each other. Um, little scenes like when Kamala was trying on her wedding outfit and at first her mom was like, it's it's long on you. But when the auntie came in, she said, you're too short for it. She was like, yeah, she's right. You are too short for it. So it's like the the toxicity of like you have a horde of people looking at you at all times mm-hmm. and the people you expect to have your back not necessarily be there to see the flip side of that was really cool. Yeah, I can really see that. And it, for me, it's so powerful hearing you talk about that because one thing I was really struck by, and I, um, there's a podcast I really love called Desi Geek Girls, and they're, they're both Indian, they're not Pakistani, but they're South Asian, and they talked a lot about how much this show spoke to them. Mm-hmm. And, and they made a comment about that, that they said it was, um, that, that really struck me, that it was showing the problems that can happen, but not doing it, doing it from an insider, not an outsider perspective. You know, and talked about how it'd be very easy for a scene like that to come off 
in mm-hmm. a way that made white people think, oh, okay, so you look, we're better. We don't have that kind of toxicity. We don't have like the problems in our, our religious communities of, of that a girl can't get elected or we don't have the kind of family stuff you're talking about. But instead it felt to me like it was showing, you know, it was showing a community, the good and the bad, but not yeah. in a way of being like, look, anyone else can feel better about their community. It was saying, because I mean, like, my father didn't love some of the stuff I got into, you know, it's not the same by any means, but like all the stuff that I saw Kamala going through with her family, I was both seeing it from the particular, like, this is different than anything I will ever understand because of the community, but also I can relate to a lot of it. You know, it didn't feel like exotic and different. I, I know we keep talking about that. I don't mean to keep bringing that point up, but it, to me, the more important point here is just the fact that it was, it was shown from inside the community instead of like, it didn't feel like someone judging the Pakistani community at all. Yeah, I mean, really hats off to the writers and producers and directors and cast. Um, when the first little snippet came out that this show was happening, like the people who were talking about it on that little extra were like in tears that they actually had a whole cast full of Pakistanis and Arabs and Muslims that are going to be working on this show. And it really paid off. Like uh, with that in- interview with uh, Anjali Bimani, like she talks about how Kevin Feige himself said that it was important that we're not only going to represent, but we're going to celebrate Pakistani culture. Mm-hmm. And he made that very clear from the get-go that that's what he expected of the staff to do. And I think they accomplished it. They definitely did. And one of my favorite characters, I mean, we don't, we didn't see her tons in you know, these six episodes, but in the comics is actually uh, the brother's wife and that they actually show and represent that like, not all Muslims are from Southeast or Southwest Asia, like it because yeah. of how much it's spread and stuff like that. And it's just mm-hmm. like all those little tiny bits and things just make it so, so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I loved her character, especially. And, and the moment we got to see her parents, because it also kind of confirmed like, yeah, this is probably either she or her family converted at some point yeah. because Growing up in New York City in the 80s and 90s, unfortunately, the only exposure I had to the idea of black people in America being Muslim was Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam and all that kind of stuff. And like, again, just the ignorance of how, how I was taught and what I knew. And in later years, really coming to learn like, no, that there, there is like a, a large you know, population Huge. within black, yeah. black people in America, some of whom have always been Muslim, some of whom have converted in recent years or gone back to the traditions. Um, I had a wonderful professor who loved to talk about how if you look at a lot of like the spirituals that like the music that came from the slaves, there are songs like, you know, as I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, that like it's Islamic references because a lot of those those folks were were Islamic when they were kidnapped. Um, Yeah, I I just love that character. And I, I hope a lot of other people had that experience of like, yeah, it's not the media loves to focus on Nation of Islam and stuff like that. And that is by no means a that they're portrayed in a lot of really problematic ways and that's that's bad enough but that doesn't speak for the the black islamic experience in america and a lot it of was, oh sorry zoo it was so small but really quick of the scene of uh, the fire alarm when like both the weddings were outside and the two brides were like you oh, look it really beautiful it's best. like you do too i love that it was I the best that so much it was the absolute best i was like yes that is what girls are supposed to do for one another it, because mm-hmm. it's showing intersectionality feminism that we all support each other. It doesn't matter your race, religion, ethnicity, so- socioeconomic status, all of that, mm-hmm. or your pronoun, any of it. It just made me so happy. And then like <laughs> in America, the number of 
black people have converted to the Muslim religion, it, it's actually, it's a situational irony because a lot of America views it as, you know, like, hey, violent religion and terrorism mm -hmm. and all of those terrible things that are completely inaccurate. But a lot of people like Muhammad Ali, they converted and they changed because it's a peaceful religion. Mm -hmm. uh, and that I it, just quickly wanted to throw that out there that it, like throughout history, seeing it as a peaceful religion it actually is one. And then mm -hmm. how it's been just manipulated by wrong people. The same yeah. with yeah. any religion. Yeah, no, I think that's really true. And to me also, um, as someone for whom, like when I was a pastor, the idea of sanctuary in my church was very important. We had, we had one situation where a uh, undocumented immigrant uh, was being, you know, was like they were trying to deport him and he came yeah. and stayed at our, uh, our church for two weeks because like we were providing sanctuary like that. And so hearing the uh, Iman um, talk about, uh, I, I, hearing the Iman talk about like, no, you know, this, you can't come to this mosque for this reasons, you know, and you can't like we're providing sanctuary and seeing him do that and help the kid help uh, Karam. Am I pronouncing Kamran. that? Kamran. Kamran, thank you. Get away. I, I, I like you, Emily, was reading as much as I was listening. <laughs> um, it, it just really struck me so hard. It is. And it was just it was such an excellent point where she's where Nakia is like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, we're like, it's a religious place, but you're in a mosque in America and you, we yeah. have all these damage control people who have no care in the world for any religion. I can't tell you the number of times I was getting so pissed off. They wouldn't take off their shoes. I'm like, if you're going to just storm in there, I think I felt. <laughs> could you just show some respect for them? Like, yeah. uh, it just, it was just such a great and wonderful scene. And Nakia in particular had so many great lines and moments. I mean, I can't wait to so show all of my students the scene where she's talking about hijab specifically mm -hmm. and what it means for her specifically as a female, as somebody, I believe they hinted that she was uh, biracial and that she is in the comics that she is half white and then half Pakistani. Um, hmm. Is it confirmed that she's Pakistani? Because she didn't even say that. She said that she was like a mix, like just half American and. Yeah, in the comics she is, but I, okay. And again, mm. again, they're they're making their own leniencies with things, so who knows? Um, it's, okay. Where they decide, <laughs> but she. I, I mean, I was gonna say that one was helpful because for, to me, I assumed she was Middle Eastern. Um, and then re then she did mention um, mm -hmm. having interracial parents. I was like, oh, okay, maybe I, I'm, I'm making a false assumption here. And that alone I thought was helpful. And I, I don't think that was entirely accidental that they let you get to know her for a couple episodes and then told you she was interracial. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's It was the same thing in the comics. I mean, it was like 10 or 12 issues where you're like, oh, okay, it's just her Pakistani right. friend. And it's she's biracial. And, like, her parents yeah. actually don't want her to wear a hijab. But... She yeah. talks very specifically about what that experience means to her as a Muslim and as a woman, specifically mm -hmm. in America. And she just had so many great lines and just bits of conversation that just kind of open up the dialogue and mm -hmm. open up a conversation just within homes. Like, at least like for me, watching it with uh, Reed the whole time, I mean, like there were so many moments where you could literally just like feel how there was almost like a pause, like, hey, pause here. And let's talk as a family in this family room mm -hmm. about what's happening on the show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really beautifully done. I mean, between that dialogue and the dialogue in 
Halo and Young Justice, like the fact that DC and Marvel have both had a recent experience of talking about hijabs to their parents and to yep. their family members and friends mm-hmm. has been like, whoa, the exposure is like really getting out yeah. there. And the fact that like a majority even doesn't have anything to do with religion, like it is just a preference, whether it be from your culture, whether it be like your mm-hmm. ideals and what you stand for. Because like from my understanding, the story that I was told is that the reason that people started wearing a hijab was because when people went to the prophet for advice he would get his wives to cover up so that they're not distracted from like why they were in his home it's like you're here to talk to the prophet all distractions are put aside so there was a misinterpretation of like oh because the prophet wraps up his wives we should do that to our wives because we need to be like as important as the prophet is and that's how that tradition began so like it it has nothing to do with the religion of it at all it's just a matter of like there was this perspective it evolved into this and now it's like a choice that women make because even when i got Mm -hmm. to visit karachi at the malls like there were some girls who were in you know skinny jeans and tank tops and then there was girls who were in full burkas so it's like Mm -hmm. it really is a choice of how you dress and what that represents and what that means to you it, it really puts it in perspective in terms of, like, the cultural component of it. I I have a lot of students from Afghanistan, and mm. the females are very, very, like, strict on their hijab wearing and covering up. But then I also have several students from Pakistan, and they are significantly more lenient. Uh, and then yeah. I have students who are from Ethiopia, and they are extremely strict. And then I have... Uh, few students from India and they don't believe in hijab at all. Uh, and it, mm-hmm. it's a family thing, but then culturally as well, you can see it among different countries and regions of the world, how that's yeah. developed and changed. And that's one thing I thought, and I think that's something of great. And I like, I really appreciated that Nakia and, uh, that Nakia and Kamala were friends, especially because clearly like Nakia doesn't want, like she doesn't judge Kamala for not wearing one. No. It's, yeah. it's Nakia's choice and she feels okay with it. Uh, for me, a lot of my exposure to it really came when I spent a couple of weeks in Egypt, uh, where one, one thing I learned there was at least the, the understanding is that um, it became an important part of Egyptian culture again in the 1800s when the French, uh, the French army was there because the army was treating uh, Egyptian women so terribly that they started wearing the hijab again as a way of kind of like covering and protecting. Um, and you can get into all sorts of sides of that kind of a story. But like when I was in Egypt, I mean, I saw both of what you're talking about, but I also saw women in skinny jeans and tank tops and very high heels and looking incredible and hijab. And it wasn't sort of a like you you can wear hijab. And cause that, to me, that was the stereotype I had was hijab as part of like covering yourself entirely. And that, you know, seeing someone who's like, yeah, I'm going to express myself and my femininity and look damn sexy and also wear the hijab. And that all made sense for someone. You know, and I, I just really appreciate the way the show kind of opened up uh, all that, all those kind of different perspectives. Yeah, they're very fashionable and stylish now. Oh, um, t- some of the most gorgeous women in the world I've seen are wear hijab and they don't show their hair. One of my best friends, she's from Saudi Arabia, and she she says she's like, guys aren't allowed to see my hair. They're not worthy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like her whole perspective of wearing hijab and covering her hair. Because, like, I would always see it, and then she would, like, if mm-hmm. our, our roommate's boyfriend would come over, she would completely cover up and stuff like that. Yeah. And we had, like, a yeah. conversation after many glasses of wine one night, and she was like, they don't, they're not worthy of this. 
They don't deserve seeing all of this. I'm gorgeous with it. Do you think they could stand to see me without it? <laughs> and I it just, like it. It just absolutely cracked me up. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was such a small, small scene in episode three, but when Nakia is like super exhausted and she comes into Kamala's room, just like face plants <laughs> onto her bed. Yeah, first thing she did was rip that thing off and then goes. Yeah. I was like, I wonder how many people notice that they're actually like seeing her with hair for the first time because she's in a comfortable space where she's okay to just leave it off. It I, I, I have a question about that, but I want to just say one comment quick that one thing I also noticed is that um, compared to Kamala, Nakia wore, wore a lot of makeup and, and was seen in high heels a couple times. Kamala mm -hmm. very rarely was wearing makeup. And that was just a really nice thing of showing that like, yeah, you know, they can have different approaches to all these different parts of who they are. One, I, I appreciate you bringing up that scene, Zuhair, because one thing that I've, I, one thing I've seen some discourse around is that on the one hand, that scene was really great that she could showing that she could take off her hijab around Kamala, but that for some folks that, you know, they would want a an actress who wears a hijab, who is hijabi, to play this part, the character. And that would mean not showing her hair, you know, to millions of people on TV. I'm curious how, and I, I've heard a lot of back and forth on that, and it's one that I, I, I think what they did in terms of that representation, showing that she could take her hijab off, made a lot of sense to me. But I'm kind of curious to both of you what you think of that argument of, like, would it have been better to have her played by an actress who, that actress, wears the hijab all the time? No, it makes sense now. Like, see, my perspective is always like, if we're gonna have a, an actor um, portray a certain role, they just have to nail the role, right? And that is the reality of it. That it's like, like, have you stepped outside lately? It's really freaking hot. Like, if she's wearing that thing all day and has an opportunity to sit in someone's room and take it off, like that is stuff that needs to be depicted because. That is part of the culture where it's like they just open up around women and the fact that she was in a space that she was comfortable enough to do that because it's not like she was in the house and had it out in the living room where Amir or her dad could have walked in. It was just a matter yeah. that it was specifically walked in the room, slammed the door, and then was just like, I'm free. I can just take this off for a and, little bit. And they did kind of show the other perspective with Amir's wife and that she like never takes off her hijab. I mean, like, technically when she marries him she can take off his job in the house around all of them because that is now right. her father that is her husband but she was still wearing hijab the entire time and she yep. is somebody mm. that's extremely strict on that um now the actress i don't believe is muslim so i mean maybe they could have done better with that casting but they did show the two perspectives yeah but they nailed the role so like it doesn't yeah, bother me exactly. if they're muslim in real life or not because like you limit yourself because what if it's like you only want a Muslim actor, but then they're not that great at acting, so they don't portray the role properly? Like, they and, portray the role properly, and that's what's important at the end. I do not care what their lives are outside of their role, as long as they portray that properly. And that's uh, specifically the Percy Jackson, the Olympian series. Like, they're creating a series, uh, and or a TV series, and the author very specifically was like, when we're casting for the roles, I don't care about their ethnicity mm -hmm. or anything. If they can mm -hmm. portray a 12-year-old and they're within the age range, that's all I care about because we want them to grow up with the series. Yeah. And a girl, Annabeth Chase, who is white and blonde hair and gray-eyed, they casted a black girl. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I, I do want to like speak up a little bit like, 
I do want to defend a little bit the idea of like that that when you're casting people from marginalized communities, I do think it's like for me, the movie Fire Island is entirely about uh, you know queer communities and all the actors are queer. And yes. to me, that that really made a, that made a lot of sense. And so I, I I do push back just a bit that I do think there is some value in trying to make sure that people are portraying the experience of have had the experience of what they're portraying but you're right it, you know i i definitely understand why for this character like having her take be able to take the hijab off is a very important moment and of representation and so an actress who wouldn't do that like yeah i can see why this that, that makes a lot of sense for me i could because if she did a bad job i totally would be on the same train of like why didn't they get something that did it but that's not the case like she nailed it and for right. Nakia, I mean, like the entire, like it made me feel like I was back in college with that friend from Saudi Arabia because she literally mm -hmm. would just huff inside our apartment and just throw yeah. it off. And then, like the same way women, when we get home, a lot of times, like we take our bra off because it's very constricting and we don't want to be constricted yeah. anymore. And mm -hmm. it just, it felt very comfortable and like friendly. And it just, it, it brought back a lot of good feelings for me personally. Yeah. And two big examples last year were, um, I'm forgetting the actor's name. But the one Pakistani guy that was in, um, oh my God, what is the the sh the Korean show that took off last year? Squid Games. Squid Games. Mm -hmm. The Pakistani guy that was in Squid Games was an Indian actor, and then you have a Pakistani guy playing Kingo in Eternals, who, mm. who was supposed to be an Indian person. So it's like. Am I supposed to be mad that they had the Pakistani play the Indian guy and the Indian play the Pakistani guy? Or am I supposed to be happy that they were on screen and they nailed it? Because, yeah. again, the Pakistani guy was doing Hindu traditional stuff during the marriage and the funeral. Mm -hmm. The the Indian actor was speaking in Urdu and throwing in parts of Islam in his dialogue. Like, they nailed their roles. And at the end of the day, they learned about a culture to mm -hmm. hit their role. And they nailed it to a play where, as the audience, we believe that they are who they portray to be because they did such a good job. Yeah. And can we the just appreciate the fact that Kamala's mom and Kamran's mom <laughs> both had massive crushes on King of the Bollywood I star. totally missed that dialogue, too, because I was, <laughs> I was so fixated on the Shah Rukh Khan movies that they were talking about that it totally mm -hmm. like went over my head that they were talking about Kingo because I was like... Well, I was with them like, yes, DDLJ is overrated and that there are better Shah Rukh Khan movies out there and this and that, that somebody mm -hmm. reminded us like, what did you think of the King Ghost? I was like, they mentioned it? <laughs> oh my yeah. God, it's hilarious. And now there's the set photos of Loki where they have the King Go posters in the background. Yeah. It just makes oh, it so wonderful. Good. It's so good. <laughs> He's just I, integrating I, everywhere. <laughs> I, I know Marvel used to do shorts a lot and I kind of hope they bring it back just because I want to see, I don't, I don't expect them to make a full Kingo Bollywood movie, though I would love that. But just give us like 15 minutes, you know, I mean, 15 minutes of a get a Bollywood director, like really do it right. I'd love that. And they only did that hint of it in Eternals where he was playing Icarus. And I just it would have mm -hmm. been cool if they yeah. had actually had that kind of like scene and they had it playing like on a TV in the background at some point mm -hmm. or yeah. anything like that would have been really cool. Yeah. Unpopular opinion, but I'll take the Marvel one shots over all of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Fair, fair. I, I, I disagree quite a bit, although I do have a podcast on the Marvel Movie Minute where I talked about a funny thing happened on the way to Thor's Hammer. You should definitely check it out. I even wrote a song for it. Um, I do love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., though, so I, I'm, I'm with you on that, Emily. Oh, my God. Uh, Deke, Sean, Fitzsimmons are life. <laughs> <laughs> so just though on the, on the 
point of the the fandoms that the 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 the, the characters were into the thing that i was really struck by and again felt like such important like yeah show this was um her parent kamala's parents being so into bon jovi yeah i think again like I one of the things that I experienced as someone who was who was born here and my, you know, I I hear stories about the family of mine that immigrated back in the 1800s, but at this point it's, you know, it's stories passed down. I don't have the immigrant experience. It was very easy for me to kind of feel like or to, to think, and again, this is bad thinking, but it's just how I grew up. Like, okay, I hear someone with a strong accent. They and I hear them talk about like their music, their culture. So they're not going to know about like Star Wars or my culture or things like that. And like seeing that the parents loved Bon Jovi, like at this point, I've, I've, I, it's not surprised to me anymore, but I can understand how it just felt like such a good moment to show like, yeah, they love all of this stuff. They love the culture, but also, yeah, they live in America or even around the world. You would hear Bon mm-hmm. Jovi. And I just showing that people can love all of it was even, so important even them choosing where they moved in america <laughs> where they're uh-huh. talking about loving bruce springsteen and bon jovi i mean like that is the area you would move to if you yeah. loved them <laughs> yep yep i i do need to say just on the representation point uh paul hoppy who's my regular very very common guest he won't be a co-host um very very regular guest they won't be a co-host but he did point out one thing, which is that in Jersey City, where he lived, where he took his driving test, they take driving tests on uh, like a closed course, not on the street. So oh, one no. part of representation they got wrong, but I think we got so much else right that we can probably let that slide. Um, but I just need to bring that up. Just need to mention that. Well, okay. Also, <laughs> when did he get his driver's license? Uh, a couple of years ago. They like I grew up in New York City, and so like we both didn't drive as kids. We didn't need to. So. Okay, because I was about to say, like, if he had done it, like, a while ago, it may have changed to what it was today, but... Or they were on a driving course, but we never got to see it because she crashed so quick. Yeah, that's possible. Like, (laughs) you're just supposed to drive to the the driving course. She's supposed to get there, and she didn't get there. Yeah, Yeah. all possible. But just, you know, some things don't work. Um, But we've talked so much about the those parts of of, uh, Kamala's identity... Uh, Emily, I know you've talked about some about like it also being a teenage girl and that not something we see very often in the MCU, in in these kind of television shows. What about that part of the character really spoke to you and, and how it was represented? It's, I guess for me in particular, being the really geeky teenage girl that like, like passed by with like decent grades, but was constantly zoning out in class. I mean, like... It's wild because exactly the way they portray her, like zoning out and seeing everything, that that is quite literally what goes on in my brain. And like, right. I I have ADD, and when I zone out, I that's what the world looks like to me. And it's really <sighs> weird and absurd, but that's just what my brain does. And getting to see all of that, I was like, oh man, this is great. And then yeah. just getting to see like her being so unbelievably awkward and having those moments of like oh well i used to be friends with her but then she kind of like stopped talking to us and now i'm not really sure where i stand with zoe and that happens pretty much to everybody girls and guys but here's what Mm -hmm. they don't tell you for girls is that eventually after you get past that little stage of i don't know if we're friends or not there is almost always a moment, and it's usually later high school, college, when all of a sudden you actually talk to those people again and you become friends with them again or with those mm. types of people again. 
because for the first time you're actually having a conversation with them instead of just trying to be awkward and ignore each other. And right. they, and they showed that with Zoe and it was such a little thing and really nobody's going to pick up on it unless you're a female and you kind of like went through that where like I lost like all my friends, all of mm -hmm. them. but then I went to like college and stuff like that. And looking at me and hearing what I talk about, you would never know. I joined a sorority. Like I, mm. I was a sorority girl <laughs> and it was a way that I wanted to make female connections and all those girls that like, I never would have been friends with all of a sudden I was like, friends with them again and it's like the yeah. weird stages of friendship for females and how we mature at different levels they showed all of that and it's mm. super cool they did a really great job of portraying a lot of social media things that teens go through currently um a lot of people unless you're directly in the classroom you do not notice it at all but it's a very very serious issue and problem i mean like if we're talking about the tiktok trends like those are legitimate problems that we all went through like mm -hmm. the vandalism in our schools every single one of us had to go through that and stuff like that right. and so portraying all of that among teenagers and just kamala means so much to me because like like if you took a tour through my house you would see like posters of carol danvers and you would see mm -hmm. captain marvel literally everywhere quite literally tattooed to my body and i mm -hmm. i make all my own cosplays and i go to these conventions and can't confirm on all points oh my god i just <laughs> <laughs> every mm -hmm. everything about her just you know makes me feel seen for like the first time ever like yeah shows they just they don't show actual teenage girls or females going through certain things it it's why i'm so excited for she hulk because now i'm older right now i'm in my yeah. mid-20s to mid-30s which is what she hulk is showing uh, mm. and like they're like they show those little clips of her like going on tinder dates reed and i met on tinder <laughs> like that's awesome so like all those like between that show showing my high school and college mm -hmm. experience and then this show, this next show going to be showing, you know, my like current adulthood <laughs> experience as a millennial. It's unbelievably awesome. And they're getting the right female writers and directors behind all of this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I, I really love hearing that. And there are two things that jumped out for me. Um, well, I'll say the first one and hear both your thoughts on and uh, I'll say the first one, let you all respond and then go to the other. But just talking about Zoe and social media, I was so impressed with what they did with her in this episode, in this last episode, because the young girl who is experienced, who is obsessed with her appearance and her TikTok followers. And like, that is a very easy to turn into, and I'm just the word obsessed, it, a very misogynistic stereotype that I think a lot of people have. And that I see on TikTok all the time of people making fun of that. And so showing that, yeah, she had a lot of followers and she likes looking good on TikTok and she likes having that perspective. But the minute that like Kamala, like she still remembers Kamala saved her. And the minute she sees Kamala in trouble, not only is she happy to like run in and, and say, hey, I want to help. And like, hey, like, but also to use the power that she has. Like the fact that it's a white girl saying, hey, please come rescue us. We're in trouble here is really important in that scene. And, and just to me, it was like, they could have made that such a misogynistic stereotype and they blew it out of the water with Zoe. And I was so happy for that. It's a cool 
it's a cool transition in the comic line. I keep, I keep bringing up the comics, but again, they, they do all these little things from the comics and they put it in the show. She does that same type of transformation in the comics as well. It's not a bad thing that you want to look good and you necessarily like post on TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that. It's when it goes to a bad side and they, yeah. they showed how it could go to the bad side, but then they were portraying a lot of like how it was beneficial. And then even Zoe at the end with all the little TikTok videos, like, hey, I want Nakia to speak on here because I'm using my platform for her to be able to have a voice in society as well. And I love that both because what she was doing was so good and it was just a little bit of like white awkwardness that yes. I loved as well. <laughs> Both of those were so good. When she was sitting in that room, I mean, like, they had Bruno there, but Bruno's, like, practically part of the family. Mm -hmm. uh, but her sitting there in that whole room with all of those Pakistani people and her just being like, hi. Pakistanis roll deep. I want to I wanna <laughs> help. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I just, like, it, it's a weird comparison, but, uh, like, some, like, cookouts and family reunions and stuff like that when I'm like the one like kind of like token white person there I'm like oh yeah I definitely feel that at times and it's yeah. like a, it's a good thing to show and like we should put ourselves to be uncomfortable and in, in those situations and groups but yeah yeah kind of riding the the social media a little bit you know we talk about Zoe with her TikTok and whatnot but what they didn't emphasize more of is Kamala was doing the same thing with her YouTube, right? Yes. Zoe was expressive yes. with her looks and her trends and hitting all that. Kamala was expressive of like what mattered to her, which was superhero theories. And she was getting followers. She was getting likes. She was engaging with YouTubers and getting comments and stuff like that. So it's like she was just as big of a social media presence as Zoe, but Sloth Baby was the face mm -hmm. of that, not necessarily Zoe. So it just kind of comes to like, you know, I I had this with my friends where my friends, once we hit high school, they thought it was more important to be athletes and be cool. And, you know, it mattered what people mm -hmm. thought of them um, because we had to I had the friends who were like, I'm going to tell people I'm Indian and not Pakistani because I don't want people to call me a terrorist. So they were like afraid of their identity. And then there was my nerdy ass who was still watching anime and into superhero movies and stuff like that and you know we all went our different directions but now at 29 like i'm still hanging out with them like how we did in middle school because those interests and those things that make us happy and the things that kind of like help us take take away from our everyday lives like they matter to us and they're important but we just don't care as much of like what people think about us expressing them because we make adult paychecks now and control like how we want to pursue our lives and the steps that we want to take and the fact that it comes full circles and we're able to do that with the people that we grew up with uh and have less of pressure of how we portray ourselves is kind of what brings it all back to you know this is my circle this is what we like and this is just what we enjoy yeah i love that i hadn't i uh, hadn't connected before that you're right the Kamala with YouTube, because I think they kind of dropped it after the first episode or two. Mm -hmm. But her with YouTube and Zoe with with TikTok is is the same. You know, I mean, they're expressing different parts of themselves, but neither one is better or worse. And and honestly, I really want. I know that at some point they're going to meet in the movie Marvels. I want someone, maybe Captain Marvel, maybe Monica, maybe someone, just be like, oh yeah, I've seen I've seen Sloth Baby. That's you. That's awesome. Like I think that'd be really great. I think it would be really great and even better. If Darcy and Jimmy Woo 
for the ones that had seen oh, all of that. Yes, yes I love <laughs> that. They'll probably that. be a part of Sword and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I Peter Parker that. would be pretty cool too because he had like his little video diaries of Ooh, when Tony yes. recruited him and all that stuff. Yes. So like, oh, yeah. now that he doesn't have friends or anything, like imagine him being on social media just be like, "This soft baby person is cool." Yeah, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, and also with the Captain America, uh, and also with the Captain Marvel part, and with the other thing you mentioned that I wanted to go to, like I know a lot of people don't like Captain Marvel, and like anyone cannot like anything. I'm not saying you are sexist if you don't like it. It's totally legit. But there is an awful lot of sexism in people in some of the perspectives that people have on Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah. Some of it overt, like, I just don't want women in MCU and, and the people who talk about the M MCU and all that nonsense. But also, I think there was a lot of perspective from, from you know, guys or, or not women who, it's not even that it was, like, that expressed, but just, like, they didn't get Captain Marvel's story because they weren't listening to, you know, women talking about why, you know, her story was, diff was different in a lot of ways, but really spoke to people and things like that. And so to my mind, having Kamala be so into Captain Marvel and talking about why it means so much to her, Marvel knows the critique that it's getting in that regard. And that felt like, that felt somewhat intentional. And, and to me, like, I know it was just part of the character. You kind of had to do it, but it also felt like a little bit of like, no, Captain Marvel is a really important part of the MCU and really important to a lot of the fans. And so we're going to show that. They did not have to do Ms. Marvel yet. Ms. Marvel was only created in 2014. So like she is still, mm -hmm. I mean, she's quickly, quickly outpacing comic sales to probably, mm -hmm. it's looking like she's actually going to surpass Spider-Man and the amazing Spider-Man comic sales, honestly. That's how insane yeah. it is. Right. Um, they didn't have to do her yet. She's still a young character. They could have waited. And I am I love that we did it now because I love Amon Vellani. My one disappointment is that we probably will not get her friendship with Miles Morales because they are mm. absolute best friends. I mean, like, to the point where, like, the classic Spider-Man Mephisto storyline, Miles you, do, makes a deal to save Kamala's life. That's how close mm -hmm. they are. Yeah. Um, and it makes me sad that we're not going to get that. And, you know, they could have waited and they could have, like, sold it by having the two of them be absolute best friends and stuff. But they chose to do her now. And yeah. for many, for a variety of re reasons, you know, for wanting to have better representation. She has a great storyline. People connect with her. And people had a lot of hate for Carol Danvers and Captain Marvel. And they weren't listening. But maybe now they would because you have this other character that pretty much is so widely loved and received mm -hmm. um so while it, i appreciate like uh sorry god oh no it's just it it, it it i'm sure that was part of their intention of choosing to do ms marvel now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the only thing i really have to say about um carol danvers and captain marvel is the only reason that i didn't enjoy that as much as I could have is the same reason that I don't read comics before going into a movie also because I'm awful at reading is because I don't want to have like a standard to compare to mm -hmm. and Earth's Mightiest Heroes did such a good job with Carol Danvers that I just felt like the movie didn't quite hit that standard that the show gave me yeah um so it was just it was a preference thing overall um but in regards to 
uh miss barbara kamala khan like i never read the comics for that either but because my friends knew that i'm pakistani and into superheroes and all that like they would send me like snippets of it mm. uh and i would really enjoy reading it which is why i was so excited for this character because she's just such a well-written character and did a fantastic job but for video gamers out there like oh, the avengers yes. video game was it was about Miss Marvel. She was the main character. Her job was to bring the Avengers back together because mm-hmm. they were broken up. Like, mm-hmm. I, I could not believe how well written she was in that and how amazing that story was for how mediocre the game ended up being. <laughs> but the story itself, like, I was sold on it. It was so good. And, like, that's what really amped up my hype for this uh, for this show. So the fact that, like you said, the comics have been doing such a phenomenal job the story in the game was phenomenal and then like a couple of years later like we got the show itself like it's it's very deserving of all the love that it's getting and before going into it, like there was a lot of people who were like yeah i'm not too excited for that miss marvel show it seems too kitty and this and that and i'm like i'm gonna be podcasting on it every week i challenge you to watch it and yeah. tell me that you don't like the first episode so many people are like, like my mom watches it i can't get her to watch <laughs> marvel stuff at all and she's like loving it every week and she's giving me more insight and telling me about mm-hmm. the actresses and you know breaking down the story because i call her before every mcu cast episode I'd be like hey this is something i've been talking about in this episode like can you explain this a little more and now she's diving even deeper because she's watching the show and understanding like why it's so important to me and why i'm loving it so much look and feige we trust okay he, he, feige cho- we trust, 100%. He, he he chooses and he does things very intentionally he has his hands in everything mm-hmm. marvel all right, he he does things very, very, very intentionally, uh, and mm-hmm. choosing when they did Ms. Marvel is as big of a decision as when they brought Carol Danvers in and Captain Marvel in. Uh, yeah. And if you didn't like the Captain Marvel movie, okay. I mean, not everybody can have as great a taste as I can. That's okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> however, yeah. don't hate on Carol Danvers and that character just because of one movie. I can say yeah. the same thing about Thor The Dark World. So Yeah. Yeah, so I like, hell, I was disappointed that Carol wasn't in Endgame more. I'm disappointed we get to see like more action with her. And I'm just, I'm so excited for the Marvels yeah. now because everyone's got their foundation bait like set and now we can just move forward and go into serious character development and storytelling yeah i i think that's really true and i like and honestly my own little bit of representation and again i i want to not get my hopes too high here because i know it's marvel and disney and like taika promised us the most like gay movie you'd ever seen with love and thunder and then it really wasn't uh that that's a whole other topic i can get into it had some great moments though to be sure but to me, when in Kamala's video, you see Captain Marvel fly off and it's a literal rainbow like that, that of colors that come out of her. I think that's very intentional. Like maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But to me, there's a lot of ways they've been hinting that. And I think the, the you know, uh, Carol and Monica could be like, I don't know where it's going to go, but I, I have a lot of hope for that. So it was one yeah, more. Fun that one thing. would be a little strange. Her best friend's daughter. <laughs> Fair, fair. I, I I I know very little about her in the comics. I, I, I know very little. Let me correct myself. I know very little about my comics. I've heard people talk about those two together and had not made that connection. You're right. I've also heard about her and Sif. 
being much more. I'm just saying there being some kind of representation. That was just the I, first one that I threw out because that's one I've heard. That's, Apparently, that's a, a just lot of, as a lot interesting of... as uh, as Steve Rogers and Sharon Carter. It is, I mean, yeah, they've gone there before, unfortunately. So, <laughs> but you notice how they nixed that real fast in the bud. Too. <laughs> I'm just saying the rep- I want the representation. You're right. Monica's the wrong name to come to mind in that moment. I apologize. So, but, yeah. Matt. So- Taika, I believe, I believe his intentions was for Valkyrie and finding her queen and stuff like that. And then I think it just turned into too much when he was also trying to do Mighty Thor and such because yeah. Taika is not afraid oh, no, to I, bring I in the gang. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. think that was Taika. I think that was a combination of Disney saying um, we're going to go so far and so far. And also, as you said, there's a lot of now, like, a lot of footage that got left on the table. Yeah, so, and and that that's a whole other topic. Yeah, and I I think it'd be really great if Carol. It'd be great if Carol was. So that'd be a totally different take from the comics and stuff like that. I would love for them to stay with Carol. Um, she she's like the big. She's in an interracial relationship, and like hmm. for me with my boyfriend being black. I mean, like that's that's another one of those things that makes me just love her so much because i'm like yeah i'm also with the black dude you get it (laughs) um and like all the things that come with being in an interracial relationship and i think Mm -hmm. it would be amazing if they did that in particular and in the comics it's Brody. don Cheadle's a little too old for her so my Mm -hmm. my personal theory for all you theory people out there her man is going to be sam wilson because they are both air force all right and they're both you know military the same way that you know uh, Rhodey and her were that's I can my see that. that's my personal hope and prediction, and that they just continue with Valkyrie being the total you know mm-hmm. gay icon that she is. Yeah, uh, that, bringing that... in plenty of other characters as well. I mean, they can do the Wiccan and Hulkling uh, storyline. They yeah. can do anything they want. Um, yeah. I, I think there's so much things they do. Yeah, and I'm not saying it has to be Carol. I, yeah. I do think oh, yeah. there's been. I do think there's been some queer coding with that character that's somewhat intentional that I'd be a little disappointed by, but you know, it can, I mean, it, it certainly can be also her in an interracial, interracial relationship with someone who's not a guy, not Monica we've established, but you know, there's lots of possibilities there. Look, I just wanted to point out the rainbow. Like it really meant a lot to me. Marvel. So we'll if, you're see. Li- if you're listening, Marvel, do not make it Monica. That would yeah, be not, very awkward. Not Monica. Thank abort, you very abort. much. Um, <laughs> I, one of the things I was going to say, though, also is I didn't realize that Ms. Marvel and Miles were good friends in the comics. Yes. I I would love to see that. I'm not giving hope up entirely. A, yeah, because I think true. you could. I think we could have a live action Miles. That would be fantastic. I just but don't also, know I, when. I recently did an episode with um, the the folks over at the. Um, and, uh, uh, I recently did a. Uh, sorry. I recently did an episode with the Hype is My Superpower podcast, which is great coverage of comics. We're talking about the future of the MCU and stuff like that. And I said, look, you know, we have the technology uh, and we're in a multiverse now. All things can happen. Let's just, you know, Roger Rabbit it. Like animated Miles is part of the universe. Make it happen somehow. That'd be cool. I don't care. I I just, Miles Morales, the Into the Spider-Verse was such a good movie. I'd love to see that representation. Uh, all right, but we are so far off topic now. Yes. <laughs> uh, so let me pull it back somewhat. Any other last thoughts from either of you? Any kind of parts of the representation we haven't covered or things that you wanted to talk about or you know why the show meant, to you, meant, meant a lot to you? Um, I, In terms of, because I know that uh, 
you really loved that, you know, Echo did not have both her legs and they really mm-hmm. showed, you know, you were talking about how it was the same like prosthetic and everything. One thing yep. I was hoping for, they like hinted at it that like Bruno got like injured and stuff like that. And he actually ends up needing, um, he actually ends up like creating his own technology essentially to help like his body function. I kind of wish that they had done that because it would oh, have been, cool. it would have been really great representation. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they have echo, that she was born that way, but then you could also have people that end up in accidents and then they also need mm-hmm. assistive technology in different ways. Yeah. Um, so that, that that's kind of like a, a missed opportunity, but again, they had so much storyline going on that it could come in play or it could not yeah. come in play. And I don't think we've seen the end of Bruno by any means. No. So I think oh, that's no. certainly a, a strong possibility. That's like, that, I mean, that's her main guy. <laughs> I, I was going to ask about that because certainly yes. uh, along with her being the awkward – I like that the awkward girl has boys falling for her on various continents. Like that was great. Um, I was like, is, that never happened to me in school. What is this? <laughs> um, is is Bruno a love interest in the comics? Because yeah. I, I really like that they they left it a way of like he could have a crush on her or he could just be a friend who's a little jealous because they're just losing time he... with her. He is okay. in love, fully head over heels in love with her. And and she is as well. She ends up getting really huge crushes. It's interesting. They kind of separated Red Dagger and Kamran. Like, they made them two separate characters. In the comics, they're one character. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. it's one character. And so th- they kind of separated them, which was interesting to see. Um so it, it, it'll be interesting to see, like, in terms of, you know, like, relationship-wise, what directions they go with. Um, it's kind of... It, they're still not officially together in the comics. <laughs> uh, it's, they, they've kissed, and they had an awkward conversation recently about how, like, uh, it was a really good kiss, uh, but we're friends. And there's still, mm-hmm. like, a lot of open, awkward conversation to be had. So they could go really any direction um i know that at points in the comics kamala didn't necessarily want to pursue things because she was afraid that even though they liked bruno they wouldn't fully accept him as a romantic partner because he is white um and not a muslim so there's a lot of really great storytelling that they could have with those interracial relationships and with Mm. family being accepting of interracial relationships definitely yeah, you definitely confused me on our weekly texting um, when you were like, oh, Red Dagger looks so cool. And then we saw like Red Dagger later and I was like, is they, it Carmine or is it Kareem? Because they have really similar names too. And I'm very confused on which one Red Dagger They did that intentionally because they separated. <laughs> it's like two different personalities now. Yeah, I loved it because both those characters were awesome. Uh, I'm yeah. all about Kareem. It, it it's 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 awesome to see both of them. It's awesome to see like they had like a, l- a little bit of tension. And I'm curious to see the story, but also like, I am so sick of the friend zone nonsense as a plot line. You know, the best friend who has a secret crush and now the new guy comes around and he's so jealous and upset about it. And I felt like with Bruno, like I was so scared they were going to go into that. And they really didn't. They just showed him as like, okay, this is a change with my friend. And that I, I, you know, I think he felt a little shut out because the two of them were able to connect in ways he couldn't. And he was feeling Mm -hmm. some of that. And there was some just like teen boy awkwardness that, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of jealousy, but like 
it felt like that's again one big trope that they they kind of like like hey we're going to show this thing that could become this trope but it's not we're actually going to show that there's depth and, and realness here that yeah. i really appreciated and bruno's definitely like some people like him in the comics and some people hate him in the comics and i feel like especially because everybody's like he would have made the perfect peter parker all over social media for that particular actor i feel like he has a lot more love from the show than he ever did from the comics because i'm telling mm -hmm. you people are not a fan of bruno in the comics a lot of, it, it's definitely like i'd say 70 percent of people like him and then 30 percent hate him interesting that's yeah, funny i've heard people not like his depiction in the show either like yeah. he's just oh annoying and whiny and stuff like that i was like what show are you watching uh but to each their own yeah yeah and i love that they showed that he one thing i think a lot of these shows and movies can often do is give you a white character who spends the whole movie or tv show asking about things and it's sort of like the audiences it, it's a way to be like hey white people we're making this for you as a way for you to learn about this through him and I, the fact that Bruno wasn't that, that he already knew all those things. And so he wasn't yeah, going to be the best friend since kindergarten. Like, of course, he's going to know, like, some basic terminology in Urdu. And he's going to know, yeah. you know, the he food. He made a voice assistant that understands Urdu. Zoo. That was so good. That was and so it's good. called Zuzu. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, Zuhair, anything last things from you? Um, Just touching a little bit on the all the Karachi sequences, like, I don't think it gets appreciated enough, but the the generational conversations between mm. Nani, Mom, and Kamala, and that level of like understanding each other and explaining each other and trying to look from each other's eyes instead of like the tunnel vision of like what's right and what's wrong and how you're supposed to live your life. Like a lot of that stuff is really beautiful. And me as a photographer, like in the past few years, you know, whether it be from accidents or health concerns, and stuff like that, like I've lost a few friends and you look back and realize you don't have any pictures with them because in a generation where we can have access to photos so easily, we have to make sure that we look all prim and proper for everything and everything has to be post worthy and blah, blah, blah. But then it's like, what if that person dies tomorrow? Like, does all that stuff matter then anymore? Mm -hmm. um, so like for the, the photo of, her nani to have the picture of her and her parents when she was a child because it's the only photo of Aisha that there is like that stuff was super powerful and the the importance of legacy and history and understanding your culture and where you come from and the openness of being able to talk to your family and challenge them to share their uncomfortable experiences uh, because there's no record of stuff like that. Like, it all is stories between families. And showing that, I think it was really underappreciated, and they could have expanded on it a little more. But, man, was it it brought tears to my eyes with how beautiful it was. And mm -hmm. actually showing and having conversations about things like partition. I mean, like, I, I, I highly doubt Disney will allow it, but I really, I, I can't stress how much I want them to talk about Kashmir and as, as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as well. Mm -hmm. like you you touched on partition now now let's get even bigger let's get deeper yeah i mean and especially because uh i mean th there's so much that goes into both of those conflicts as well as some of the others around the world i'm not trying to simplify them but you know i i it, uh, a professor i had liked to point out that like a number of the places where the worst kind of like ethnic religious tension over shared land is happening are areas that are former British colonies where the where the the British divided mm -hmm. people as a way to kind of and I, I really like the way they showed that and 
one small detail that I, I think I understood this is why, but Zuhair, I'm curious your, your thoughts on it. And this is going to be our closing. I noticed that, at, at, like Emily said, we, we, I, I watched in subtitles. And so they would show, like on the screen, it would say speaking in Urdu. Mm-hmm. And then they went to Pakistan. And when, they were, when her mother and even Kamala was, I think mostly her mother was speaking to her mother and the other family, sometimes it said speaking in Hindi. And I could hear the difference. And at first I was like, wait, why are they doing that? And, and then I realized, wait a minute, this is part of the part, my understanding is this is part of the partition story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that these were folks who their parents grew up in India and yeah. probably did speak Hindi and, yeah. and maybe also spoke Urdu. But so, yeah, they, of course, would still speak it, even though they're Muslims in Pakistan. Yeah. So a uh, quick history lesson on how the language of Urdu came to be is it's actually a mix of three different languages, but Urdu primarily is Hindi. So mm-hmm. you have not only the rule of the Mughal Empire where Muslims took over India, so Arabic started to get introduced. And then like Pakistan, because there's like, you know, damn near 300 languages in India alone. Mm-hmm. So in the Pakistan part of it, you had not only the, the Mughal influence, so you're speaking Arabic with your Urdu, but your primary trade was with the Turkish empires. And those neighbors all speak Farsi. So with Karachi being like the San Diego of Pakistan Mm -hmm. and the whole region of Pakistan being so close to Europe and Turkish countries and Farsi speaking countries while still being attached to India, there was like a melting pot and Urdu actually developed over time as a language being a mix of those three. So Mm -hmm. when I watch Bollywood movies, I understand them speaking Hindi because Urdu primarily is Hindi, but there's like mixes where like Arabic has like its influence and Farsi has its influence. And now because of British rule, like there's just a lot of English in there. Like they just don't make up Urdu words or you just throw in the English version of it because it's such a prominent part of the uh, prominent part of the language. Yeah, there's like movies like from the Philippines and stuff like that that I've seen. And I understand most of what they're saying because it's English and Spanish is a lot of the words um, yeah. where you can oh. kind of get the grasp of what's happening. It's a very similar story for Afghanistan and how Pashto developed and their different dialects of Northern and Southern mm-hmm. Pashto as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can totally yeah, see I that. I mean, I, I teach Filipino martial arts and a lot of the dialogue, it's like the only reason I picked up on it is because I took Spanish in high school and yeah. a lot yeah. of it just is uh-huh. Spanish words or variations of Spanish it words. It is. It's wild. <laughs> so it's like, how much of this is Spanish and how much of this is like actual Tagalog? It's yeah. linguistics anthropology. I mean, it's cultural it. diffusion. It's so much, so fascinating. It's cultural diffusion. Yeah. It's how culture and language and everything's developed over time. Yeah. It's just amazing stuff. Well, I'm so glad you could both be on here. Thank you both so much for this conversation. And you're both amazing content creators in your own right. So for people who I hope people have been listening to the great stuff you're doing on other places, but for those who aren't, um, where can they find more of you? Uh, Emily, you want to start? Uh, yeah. So again, I'm a teacher. You can find me at a lot of comic conventions. I just finished up my last one at Awesome Con, but uh, I will find out mid to late August uh, if I will be at New York Comic Con, the big one presenting, which is very mm-hmm. exciting. Um, and then as well as that, uh, my boyfriend does a sports podcast, the three, two, three with Reed Murphy that I'm on a lot. And so is who he's, he's like a regular co-host now. I love being on that show. <laughs> I, I laugh harder on that show more than I ever have on any other. Um, so <laughs> hey, if you hey like look, sports, I, I, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. If you like sports, but you also, we do a lot of pop culture and stuff like that. Um, and that I, 
I do my own podcast that doesn't come out nearly as often as it should, but it's Emily Sissel asks what if, which is where I take moments in sports history and I ask what if something slightly has changed and how does that have a bigger societal impact? Mm. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. And Hey, I have been a long suffering Mets fan for many years when they were not worth talking about. They're in first <laughs> place now they're doing good. So if you ever needed someone else uh, on to talk baseball, I'd be happy to, to come on. Reed always needs baseball people. He doesn't know baseball. <laughs> sure. Point, point in my way. Uh, Zuhair, what about yourself? I, I think we mentioned uh, one or two podcasts you're on, but uh, just give yeah. people the rundown of how to find you. Oh. One or two. Miss Marvel has had me on a gauntlet lately. Uh, so as Emily mentioned, I, I hop on three, two, three, especially when we talk about DC sports. Uh, but whenever we get to talk about pop culture on there, it's so much fun. Uh, primarily you can find my animation deliberation where we talk about animated content. Uh, we just recently finished young justice. It's such a phenomenal show. We did big hero six and the Baymax miniseries, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we just right before coming on here, we recorded our reaction to, Oh my god, why am I forgetting the name? Harley Quinn season three. We did the trailer reaction to that because the show oh, comes yeah. on. We're gonna have ah! Emily to talk on about a couple episodes too, because she's just ecstatic over it. And I, I will definitely want both of you on of... for Harley Quinn, yeah, as well on this side of things. Cause that show raises some very interesting ethical questions. I love it. <laughs> so good. So good. And what's fun is that we've been doing a lot of interviews lately too. So the one that we did last week was with Zach Barrick, who is credited as the first uh, openly trans actor to be credited in an MCU movie. So it was fun talking to him and how he landed that role and what it was like working with Marvel and John Watts and to promote his new show on Netflix. Uh, so we're doing a lot of fun stuff over there. And then if you want to hear my instant reactions to Ms. Marvel, then Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast is the place to go for that. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> uh Yeah, thank you. Thank you both so much. Uh, I'm going to have show notes for, for all the things they talk all the things they talked about will be in the show notes with links so you can find them. Um, thank you both so much. And of course, we love feedback here. So let us know, what do you think? What um, how, what did you think of the show? What spoke to you? Did you feel represented by it? Or do you feel like you really learned things by watching it? Uh, what do you think of what we talked about? you have things you agree with, things you disagree with? Let us know. All the feedback you can find on theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find our Twitter, our Facebook, our email. Uh, and of course, also there you can find... Um, the, all the podcasts that I do. Uh, this podcast, Superhero Ethics, uh, Star Wars Universe podcast. We did episode-by-episode uh, episode coverage of Kenobi. We're getting excited for Andor now, uh, which we're really looking forward to. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about that one. Uh, all sorts of stuff like that. So please check those out. And most importantly, as fans, be good to each other. <laughs> <laughs>